Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have the chair of the Human-Centric Lighting Society coming straight out of Hawaii, Stan Willerchuk. But before we get to our conversation about human-centric lighting, we got to tell you about Highlight LED Lighting. That's H-Y-L-I-T-E-L-E-D Lighting.com, baby. What's up, Greggy, with them? Hey, an awesome product that you can't find in a lot of different places or really in a lot of manufacturers don't have it. I think they're one of the only ones that have a PAR 46, a PAR 56, and a PAR 64 LED replacement. You see these a lot in theaters and churches and things where you have track lighting, theatrical lighting, and they uh, they not only have those sizes, but they have 20 watts up to 100 watts. They have multiple base configurations, different beam angles, different Kelvin temperatures, Everything you need for that retrofit solution, Highlight has for you. Well, let me ask you something, Greg, Um, Mm -hmm. because we've had some recent accusations flying around the internet about us. Are you a customer of Highlight LED lighting, Greg? I am, yeah. They've been one of the first to the market with a lot of unique LED products. Right. And you purchased product from them and sold it to your customers, correct? I have, and it's been a few years that I've been doing that. Yeah. So go to HighlightLEDLighting.com. That's H-Y-L-I-T-E-L-E-D-L-I-G-H-T-I-N-G.com. That's HighlightLEDLighting.com. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's N-A-I-L-D.org. Hey, now, you want to be a member? You want to have your voice? We're having a little conversation right now about the Department of Energy's recent regulation rollback, and we want to tell people what we think about that. So if you want to get... Your thoughts heard, call the Nailed Office, talk to Sarah, and ask her about that. But for right now, we're talking human-centric lighting with Stan Walerchuk. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Stan Walerchuk. Good morning. Good afternoon to you. Say hi to Greg Garrick. Hello, Greg. Hi, Stan. And it depends where you're at, as if you say morning or afternoon, where you're at in Hawaii is morning. Minnesota, it's afternoon. Yes. But good to have you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, Stan, you've had a long career where it looks like you've done everything. I mean, I'm just reading this bio here. Uh, distribution, maintenance, retrofit contracting, uh, third-party review, consulting, design, luminaire design, policy making, and research. Is there anything you haven't that, done? That I, is- mean, I don't know what else there is. <laughs> I've done about everything, and I feel best uh, working for myself. I used to work for companies, and I just feel better being self-employed. You know, once you once you take the entrepreneurial plunge, it's really hard to come back and have a boss. I don't think I could have a boss now. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you became involved with the Human-Centric Lighting Society. Okay. Um, I, I've been in lighting for a long time. We first started with called spectrally enhanced lighting, which like using 5,000 Kelvin, you actually can lower your light level and lower your wattage and have equivalent visual acuity. And then I started to learn about human-centric lighting. And back then, there were a number of names for it. And I started to talk to people across the country and across around the world. And then we, we started the, the Human Centric Lighting Society. And it's been up there for about 
uh, five years now, and and I and it f really feels where lighting is going, and that's where I put most of my time and effort into. Yeah, and I, that that's the one thing that stood out to me when I looked into your website for the Human Centric Lighting Society is that it was like 2012 or 2013. You guys were talking about that, and that's when LEDs really started coming out uh, and more mainstream. So it it's, uh, tells me that you guys are really thinking ahead even back then. Wh where are you guys going with that society? What's it all about? Well, go going back a, a step, um, even Philips did a lot of work with fluorescent with human-centric lighting before LEDs. They were using some fixtures even with their 17,000 Kelvin fluorescent T8s. And they would have 17, warm white 000? and the 17,000. And, and they would have... Um, um, uh, different lamps and the different fixtures with, with dimming um, ballasts. So they started off even before LED, but it really took off with LED. What color is 17,000 Kelvin? It, 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 it's almost like being in a fish tank. It is a really yeah. blue, blue enriched white light. Hmm. In fact, where did they you did guys a put number those? Of, um, they started in Europe. There's even a case study with people having sat in England uh, during the winter time, and they put those in, and it really took care of that. Philips also did a number of airports with the with the traffic controllers to try to really keep people at work while they're working second and third shifts. Whew. And LED doesn't come in that Kelvin temperature. The max I've seen is about sixty five hundred. Um, you can get ten. Um, you can get uh, ten thousand Kelvin. I did one school study in San Diego for San Diego Gas and Electric, and we actually did use some ten thousand Kelvin, but we did not get that much more blue and rich light. You really want what's called generally four eighty nanometers, or what's called four sixty to four ninety nanometers, and the ten thousand Kelvin LEDs do not have that much more than the 6,500 Kelvin LEDs when you're talking about your normal blue enriched LEDs. Hmm. Okay. So this, uh, so the human centric lighting, it started a lot with that and, and where are you guys going with it or what is the goal of the organization? Well, the organization um, is really trying to have experts. We have experts in the United States. We have some in Europe. And what's really good about our, our organization, we have some researchers, we have manufacturers, we have contractors, we have lighting designers, we have utility reps, and we, we, we all put our heads together um, because we have this different perspective compared to some other organizations, which might be just researchers. So we have a really good, and we also have some end users in our group, and we get to get this feedback because we all have our own expertise. And we you, really want to go more, more human-centric lighting. Sometimes it can be tunable. Sometimes it can be fixed Kelvin. Do you believe that we can make... So I'm a skeptic. And that's why I think my show is pop. The show we do is popular. I say mine. It's not mine. It's Greg and I's. But I'm a skeptic. So I'm very aware of the problems with that humans have created with electric light flicker. Um, 
you know, glare, different types of, we have also all sorts of provable negative consequences from electric light. Do you believe that there are provable positive consequences that we can create with electric light? Yes, and I'm glad you did not say artificial light. Because to me, there's no artificial light. These are no artificial lumens. So thank you on that. And there's no artificial uh, yes, intelligence either. There's either intelligence or there isn't. The idea, I'm changing that name on this show. There's no such thing as artificial <laughs> intelligence. And I am definitely not afraid of artificial intelligence because it doesn't exist. Computer intelligence that is greater than human intelligence scares the crap out of me. But that's a different story. Um, so tell me what it is that you, th you believe or that you know or that we can acknowledge. Because I don't like the word belief either. What is it that you, we can acknowledge or that you know we can use electric light for to create benefits for humans? Okay. Blue and rich light can help during the daytime. You want to avoid it one to two hours before you go to bed so you can start producing melatonin. But during the day... It's good to have blue and rich light. Uh, it's also good for a post-lunch dip. A lot of people, if they have lunch or not, get a post-lunch dip around 1 to 1.30. Uh, blue and rich light can help instead of having caffeine. Um, so there's a number of things, but I really, yes, I really like um, doing mock-ups. Like let's say there's a special needs classroom in a school. Let's do tunable lighting. Let's have separate controls for maybe the back quarter where we have people that have autistic um, children, you know, and get feedback from the children, get feedback from the teachers, get feedback from the, from the parents. Also, we can do it for third shift workers. For example, if you're not already aware, there's more medical errors during third shift than the other two shifts put together. So try not to have an operation during graveyard shift. Um, there's been a really good study at University of Wisconsin Hospital where they put blue and rich light for the third shift workers. The study has not been released yet, but that'll be a very good study when it is released. Um, well, we know we know I, that I, tiredness. We know that tiredness is actually probably a more serious problem than drinking and driving in terms of accidents on the road. Like that's true, okay. But you know, the only studies like I've been doing this. We're over a hundred podcasts now and get a grip on lighting. We've interviewed a lot of scientists, and we got a lot of shows on light ted, and we've kind of gone our way on this journey, Stan, and. Do you guys, like, other than anecdotally asking people, so if you say, hey, do you like the new lights we have in here along with our interior design? Does it make you feel better? That's it. That's one thing. The only time we've encountered uh, proof or even correlated proof, so not exactly proof, but correlated proof, was with respect to natural light and students. Do you have proof, like either a correlation uh, like something like, well, it looks a lot like this kind of light does affect it. We don't know for sure. Or do you have actual proof that scientific proof that you can benefit humans, fix diseases, improve productivity? Or is it just anecdotal? I think it does. Okay. We're right now, we're in the middle ground. We do need a lot more peer reviewed research. Mm -hmm. A lot of the research has just been done by manufacturers. And they're trying to push something. Yeah, but it's a little right snake now. Oil. They're want to buy the letter but, I. But there's some. 
really good research you know. like the University of Wisconsin Hospital that Rod Heller is doing with the Midwest um, um, lighting. Um, that is really going to be peer reviewed, and that's why it's taking so long. And, and some of the research is not even that good, even when you think it's done by good organization. When you look at the scientific protocol, it's not that good. So we have a ways to go regarding this. So that's one reason I really like to do mock-ups and get feedback from workers. Um, even if it were not doing really, you know, scientific, you know, and sometimes they'll say, this is where I'm going to go. Hmm. Um, but right now we're in the beginning of this. We need more good peer-reviewed research with good scientific protocol. Mm. And we're getting more of that as time goes on. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, uh, Europe is way ahead of the United States uh, re regarding that. And, and they do have more research than the United States and the rest of the world do. There has been some studies uh, with schools, uh, actually, even in Southeast Asia regarding this. Um, but we have a ways to go. But when I do projects and I've done schools, um, I've, I've done offices, the feedback is good, even if it's not really scientific, because I didn't have the money to do a complete scientific study. And it's not just me, other people have done this as well. Um, um, there, there's been projects like in Washington State for K through 12 schools. Um, and, and the Phillips research, it does seem to be that students get better. Like I did a project for a fourth grade in San Diego where the teacher had control of the tunable lighting, tunable uh, dimming and Kelvin changing. And they were doing math first thing in the morning. And when the teacher did not put on the high Kelvin at a higher light level, the, four, the fourth graders were saying, teacher, please do, we can learn our math better. They didn't even know about human-centric lighting. They just knew they could grasp it better when that lighting was set that way. Another thing is with tunable task lights, which, which I'm a big believer in, is that I think people will adjust the right light level in Kelvin even if they don't understand the science because I think it's something innate. Hmm. So tell us about that. I was reading a little. You talked about the concept of bio... Philia. Is that how you say it? Yes. I mean, that, that's really trying to have lighting like it's natural. For example, and th th this study has been um, done numerous times. If, if, you, if you need pain medication and you're in a hospital, and if you have a window, even without light coming in, but you have a very good view outside with trees and water or grass or whatever, you have you need half the pain medication as if you don't have a window or don't have a good view. So that's, and so there's a lot of these studies. That's, that's interesting, Stan. You know what, Adam Lillian from the UL, he reviewed. We interviewed him on I don't know what podcast it was. It was maybe twenty or thirty podcasts ago. But we interviewed him at our convention at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, and he had some very interesting. He was the first guy to come forward and actually say, you know what, here's some proof. He had looked at over 200 studies of classrooms and light. And he found that um, the interesting thing he found was that all classrooms that had natural light outperformed classrooms that didn't have natural light. Even when the natural light was from sun tunnels, 
So that means that people didn't know, weren't looking out a window and having a view of a field or a forest or trees or, or uh, uh, the, the condominium across the street or anything. It was just a sun tunnel, a couple sun tunnels in the classroom. It, the students would outperform, and this was over 200 studies, 17 of which I think it was, had sun tunnels. I thought that was mind-blowing that the sun tunnel ones also correlated into um, better results for students. Not proof that the light did it, but there was a correlation between student performance and natural light. That's unbelievable to yeah. me. Like, not unbelievable. It's, uh, that is astounding to me. And one of the things that, that, that's interesting is people come up to me now and often people will say, oh, you're the host of the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Yeah. You know, my wife will tell her friends, what should we do with our lighting? I said, well, first of all, put a lot of skylights in your house and have a lot of windows. That's the first thing you should do. And don't work at night. Go to sleep at night um, and work during the day. Those are the, those are the three things that I know are true about lighting and circadian correct. entrainment. And that, that's one reason we try to mimic daylight when we can, except when we're working third shift. That way you can have electric light definitely going to do that. But there's, there, there's been another study, again, not really peer-reviewed, but it was a school in Wisconsin that, um, that uh, they, did, um, they did tunable lighting in classrooms that had no windows and had no skylights. And there was feedback from the teachers and the students that they thought it was better than what they had before. Now, again, going to natural lighting, most of what we're using with tunable is 80 CRI. But as we go to 90 CRI and have more R9 and, and more like daylight, that's going to improve across the board as well. But most of the tunable lighting has been using 6,500 Kelvin and 22 or 2,700 Kelvin LEDs with separate drivers that you can dim, but they're 80 CRI. But when we go to 90 CRI, then we're going to really get closer to daylight. Do you think people, uh, you know, they're, they're going to ever get to a point where this can be defined and everybody's going to react the same? Because right now, to me, I think there's different reactions under different Kelvin temperatures of electric light for people. So are we ever going to be able to come out as an industry and say, yes, we know that from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. you should be under 65 Kelvin, and then you should tone it down to 4 Kelvin as you end the day, and you should end at 27 Kelvin before you go to bed? Something along that line. Will it ever be defined like that? Um, to some degree, but we're learning so much, and there's a lot of research going on. Because most people think human-centric lighting is circadian, and circadian is a big part. But now there's a lot of research, like with Dr. Doug Steele, who's working on non-circadian, like um, for migraine headaches, having lighting that can reduce migraine headaches, um, and, and a number of other factors like dementia. Now there's also some other research going on. It's not so much having blue and rich light, but the ratio between blue and rich light compared to yellow or orange and rich light, like daybreak and sunset, where you have those ratios. And, and, and that research is really taking off, too. So there's so much we don't know. But we do know that having, you know, um, usually having high Kelvin is going to be better than 3,000 or 3,500 Kelvin especially when there's no windows or people are not going out for breaks or having lunch. 
So there's a lot we don't know, but there's a lot we do know. And now there's some lighting designers that don't like any, you know, don't even like 4,000 Kelvin. Um, my, my favorite is 5,000 Kelvin in, in most applications, as long as it, it goes well with the furniture, because you have warm white furniture or brown rugs and stuff, and 5,000 Kelvin is not going to work. But I'm a big believer in, in 5,000 Kelvin in, in most of my projects, or I try to go tunable whenever I can so people can pick their light level and their CCT however they want to. Hmm. Do you, so here, what's, what's interesting about what you're saying, and I, I'm going to kind of loop back to this. I've said this before on the show and it kind of occurred to me. You have this idea of integrative lighting. You have human, the idea of human centric lighting. These are different ideas. Um, and you, you think about these things, it, it seems like light is to humans what water is to fish. It's almost like we're in an aquarium of light. And you know, in, when you're doing a water aquarium, you 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 have this these lights for the coral, and it grows the coral, and it keeps the fish, you know, at a you know alive and whatever in the water at a certain thing. It's almost like humans are swimming in light. We're creatures of the light in another sense. Like there's different areas of ways to define this. What do you actually think light is, Stan? That's a great question, and I never really came with, with an answer to that. But, 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 but I do want to say again, with light, we see light visually. We also get light, um, you know, that goes to certain parts of our brain for circadian rhythms. For example, some people that are that are blind that can't see can still pick up the signal for their circadian rhythms. So light is yeah. more than what we thought about in the past. For sure, for so, sure. You know, so you know, so it's it's to be able to see. Um, you know, also helps emotional. For a lot of people, think, you know, like you know, like they think blue is relaxing, uh, and red is is energizing. Not just with the color of light, but also like with colors of walls. But really, with the colors of walls, and also for light. Blue is actually, even a blue wall is enervating and red actually calms you down, which is different than what we think, you know, like with having sure. red fire trucks and stuff. Sure. I have a, and it's interesting. A I have a bit of, of a theory. I have a bit of a theory. I think there's a relationship between the anthropological evolution or whatever you want to call it of human beings, like the, the creation of a conscious sentient species and the color of fire at night. I think there's something with firelight at that low Kelvin temperature, warmth, the actual physical warmth, the infrared warmth coming from the fire that draws people in, makes them feel safe and makes them fall asleep. I think there's something to that. I think it got, I think there was also something to the color of high pressure sodium in streetlights that correlated with that, that was unoffensive to people. And I think there's something to high Kelvin temperature lights at night, which offends us. And we don't know what it is yet. And how, have you guys seen any research on that yet? Have you seen anything about, I'm not talking about 5,000 K between 10 and two, like you said, or after lunch or whatever it is. I'm talking about those you know, street lights on highways in the middle of the night that are very high Kelvin temperature that, that it seems to me doesn't feel right. Have you, have you guys had any research into that at all? 
Okay, um, that's a very good point that you bring up. First of all, I want to say it really depends on where you live in the world. Like in Europe, United States, we, we, we came with incandescence, but a lot of places in Asia, like China, they never had uh, incandescence. Some of them went straight to, um, to nothing to CFL or nothing to LED. And uh, they picked 5,000 Kelvin fluorescent for compact fluorescence and linear. And so they don't have the problem with high Kelvin like a lot of Americans and Europeans do because they never had the warm white incandescence to begin with. So that's that's part of it. For street lighting, a lot of it is just making sure you're not having light coming into bedroom windows and it's not too bright. But higher Kelvin, we can actually have better visual acuity. So sometimes we can do uh, we can do better with less standard lumens with high Kelvin as long as we we the light is not going where it shouldn't go. But again, people are used to low pressure sodium. They're used to high pressure sodium. Um, so we have to deal with that as well. Why why isn't there more aren't there more defined scientific studies? I know it costs money, but we're at the point now where we have the technology advanced. Can't somebody fund this and, and really get clear answers? Or are we just going to keep saying, well, there's studies, but not peer-reviewed and not scientifically proven? That's where we're at. And we've been that for two years. Let's go. Well, we okay. There there are more European studies, uh, but I'm really glad to see like the University of Wisconsin Hospital study coming up. And I know Rod Heller is really trying to get more money for research. Uh, he also did a aged care facility, and they 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 were able to get 30 percent fewer falls with 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 lighting. And 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 the falls are not at night; they're during the daytime. With 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 better high with more blue and rich light, the aged care uh, the the people were more alert and they were falling less. One fall can cost like you know you know fifteen to thirty thousand dollars. So basically, having thirty percent fewer falls basically paid for the lighting. But they knew this was the lighting. They knew this was the lighting, and not, nothing else changed. And and right now he's get, trying to. So get, it's correlated. Yeah, it's correlated. Oh, they don't know if yes. it's causational. Okay, but nothing else changed. Right, that would be a correlation then. Right, they don't okay. know for sure if that if the lighting is what caused it. They know that they changed the lighting and it correlated to there being less falls. Now that could just be less people fell. Without, you know, um, correct now he or it could yeah, be that there's more to... foot candles per square foot or it could be like they don't know what the cause was whether it was high kelvin temperature they just know that the change in the lighting happened to be one of high kelvin temperature and perhaps more light okay. and then translated into like did they have one hallway they left the same one hallway as a at like a double blind situation so they knew that it was the high Kelvin temperature. I don't think so. I think it's cor it's a correlation. There's nothing wrong with the correlation, but it's not causational. Okay, but 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 Rod is trying to get more research money to be able to have better peer reviewed research on this. Like right now, they're putting a thing with the state of Illinois with some very good PhDs um, to, to try to have better studies. 
So we know what we've been doing has not been good enough and we need to go to the next level with good peer-reviewed research. And I think we're starting to take off there instead of saying we need to get there and nothing's really happening. I think it's really starting to happen. Have you heard with PhD? Have have you heard anything about this near infrared, Stan? Where it's uh it's not you can't actually see the light, but it's a different spectrum of light that that actually you, in a way that the sun has and that humans can absorb, it's called near infrared. We had a fellow on named Zimmerman and he was talking about this particular argument. And you mentioned that he was a fan of incandescent lights and he says that all incandescent, uh, all uh, LED lights should have a tiny incandescent filament in them in order to create this near infrared light. And the other point that sort of came up after I started diving into this was and this is kind of connected, and this is a weird way that I'm learning things about the lighting industry. You mentioned that Asia, parts of Asia, China, and that lacked the incandescent light bulb um, and switched directly to CFLs and to LEDs as their econo- economies grew and, and, and this. There's a massive myopia epidemic in Asia right now. So d- myopia being yes. short-sightedness. And the the researchers over there are saying this has something to do with no infrared light, playing video games all day in dark rooms, looking at screens and, and not being outside. So, oh, sorry, it's not being outside, like not having you, when you're a young person going outside and playing outside during the day with the sun and spending a lot of time in a dark room looking intently at a, at a screen. Do you Are you aware of any of these kinds of issues and has the human-centric lighting society discussed? Oh, okay, we have, paid, we have paid attention to... Um, to the Zimmerman study, but we have not seen that from any other researcher. So um, we're sort of saying it may be, but until we see it from other people and and, and, and really in good research, uh, I'm not going to abide by it. Sure. Now with myopia in Asia, that's a big deal and we really don't know. Um, you know, like in the United States for a while, they didn't want a lot of windows in classrooms. And uh, because they thought people are going to look outside, they're not going to focus in the classroom. And then they said, no, that doesn't work. Have the windows, have the daylight. So I don't know about the classrooms in Asia where they're having the short-sightedness, but it, it really is something to look at. And again, when you, when you look out, into that problem, it is staggering. I mean, Greg, I, I, it's I, talking about like myopia amongst young people or young men. I think it's young men, actually primarily young men mm-hmm. in, in Asia, in whatever, 1985 was 10% or 1975 was 10%. And now it's almost 90% of the population 90. suffers from 90. <laughs> it's a huge population. Staggering, dude. Like it's, yeah. it's a massive Correct. problem. Correct. Wow. And, and I'm aware of it. And more research again needs to be done. But again, if people can be outside more or have the right kind of, of electric lighting, um, that has, um, I think that can help as well. But again, nothing is really as good as daylighting unless they're working se- second or third shifts. Then you're going to have to try to have electric lights um, to try to mimic that as much as they can. You know, it's interesting. That no aquarium replaces the ocean for a fish. And I guess no amount of electric light at this point, We do we really know what the right answer is? I think that we have... I think that we humans and researchers and that we have some we have some evidence that 
if you do this in this circumstance, you can have this outcome. Like one of the things that I think is so obvious to me, Stan, and, and I find it kind of fun, a dark kind of joke. I've said it a couple of times on the show as well, is like the people that we should start off by asking, you know, hey, how can you affect humans with light is people that design casinos. Because the people that design casinos know that if you shine high Kelvin temperature light into people's eyes at night, they'll give you their paycheck, right? So there's there's something to do with this horizontal, vertical, in the eyes at night with no windows that we know monkeys around with people's circadian rhythm, keeps them awake at the wrong time, and and affects possibly contributes to the uh, uh, a bad decision-making effect of gambling more than they should on, on slot machines or what, what have you. Like slot machines and casinos are basically circadian rhythm disruptors. So we know how to do that. We know how to disrupt. We know how to hurt. We know how to cause problems. You know, and, and we know that no windows is bad. We know that horizontal light, high Kelvin temperature, horizontal light in people's eyes is particularly bad. Um, but again, what do we know that is generally good good for everybody i i can't seem to get an answer to that question okay again try to be real simple try to mimic daylight when you can during the day for people that are at work during the day so you know have have windows in houses try to have them get out for breaks have them go out for lunch um but if they don't have windows they don't go out tr try to have electric light that, that that has enough blue and rich light during most of the day, especially during post-lunch dip. And there's another thing too is, and they're already doing this for like HVAC in buildings. Instead of just the blower being on and off, now there's some systems that have like a bigger gust of air. So like when you're outside and you feel that, that breeze come up, it's not constant. So we also think that and there needs to be more research on this for lighting instead of just having one Kelvin and one light level for like hours at a time, try to have these minor changes, just like when you're outside, these are clouds that go by, but even when there's no clouds, there's going to be the wind or the atmospheric pressure that's gonna change. So the light level and the Kelvin or the CCT will change periodically. So we need these changes, not just constant, because human beings don't like constant. So we have one more problem for you, one more question for you, okay? Okay. And I don't think you're going to like it. You ready? Okay. We don't like the term human-centric lighting. We think it's a wrong term. And uh, the reason being is that we've had some dark sky people on the show and they really don't like the term human centric lighting. And they talked us into like saying on your show, you should say that human centric lighting is the wrong term. It should, there's something different. What do you think of that opinion? So we had a, a wildlife advocate saying that one of the problems in the lighting business is the idea of human centric lighting and that we, you know, the, that, that earthlings have a right to darkness at night, all earthlings, not just the naked ape variety humans what do you think of that assertion that part of the problem is this idea the dark sky people see this human-centric idea as a problem okay 
Well, okay, when, well, back in, you know, 2012, 2013, we were really looking for names. Um, we were searching <laughs> everything on the web. Sure. And, um, and, and we, we want to make sure something that wasn't already have a patent on it. Sure. And we came up with human-centric lighting. Actually, um, Europe came up with it at about the same time. Um, so we really don't know who came first, our organization or some of the, the European. But, but, but that is for people. But I do agree when you were talking about nighttime lighting. Because here I live in Hawaii, we have sea turtles that we do not want to have light coming on the sand beaches when they're coming up and laying eggs, which can really screw them up. I was also working on the island of Kauai with exterior lighting, lighting with Mike Lambert, um, to have lighting that was good for people, but also good for the pelagic birds. These are birds that have to take their first flight from a high nest and they fly down and they're usually gonna follow the moon. But if there's like metal halide lighting, they're going to go around the, the, the pole light, get tired, land on the ground, and won't be able to take off again. And there's a lot of other instances as well. So we do, especially for nighttime lighting, we should look at like all creatures, not just for people. But for interior, it can be more human-centric. Stan, where can people find out more about the Human-Centric Lighting Society? Okay, we do have a website, just go to Human Centric Lighting, and there's also a number of other organizations. Um, one thing, gentlemen, if you want, um, I can send you a, a, a list of, of where people can go for in information. Um, I did not have that because I thought I was going to be talking about controls today, not about <laughs> human centric lighting. Uh, and that's what I prep for. Uh, oh, but, no. But I'll. I'll, I'll but but I will. I'd love to talk again on control, but but mm -hmm. I'll send you some some links for what people can get some very good information on human centric lighting. We'll have Scott post those to the uh, to the web page for people that want to go to those links. So if you're listening to this right now and you want to find out more about human centric lighting, you just go to getagripponlighting.com. Find Stan Wallercheck's web. Uh, Sam Wolerchek's episode with us and the links to all this information will be there and you know what Stan we're going to stay tuned I think it's a fun time to be in lighting and I think I, I, you agree with that I can tell that it's interesting and there's a lot happening something's going to break Greggy something's going to break and we're going to know we'll get there eventually and, and, appreciate you coming on you know and, and lastly now with tunable lighting fixtures getting less expensive like, for example, right now, you can buy a tunable task light uh, at, at, at Walmart for 37 bucks. Woohoo! You, you know, we made it! You know, you know that, you, you know, <laughs> and, and we're going to be able to get the same way with, with troffer and troffer kits, where people will be able to have personal control and will have a better idea because it won't cost so much as it, as, as it does now. And then it'll really take off. Stan, thank you for being a guest on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. You're very welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. HighlightLEDLighting.com. That's H-Y-L-I-T-E-L-E-D-L-I-G-H-T-I-N-G.com, baby. HighlightLEDLighting.com, Greg. 
They have solutions for par 46, par 56, and par 64. Not a lot of people do. Really, nobody else that I know has all three of those options. They're efficient as well with 140 lumens per watt. They last 60,000 hours. Why is that important? Because usually where these are are difficult to access locations where you need to get a lift or um, special scaffolding or whatever it might be to get to them. You don't want to mess with that. You just want that light to work when you need it to. And that's what this LED will do with that long life. Versatile, it has a 180-degree adjustable arm, and you can mount in, different, or mount in it in multiple positions and lengths. All the different cords you could imagine and sockets you can get, beam angles, Kelvin temps, wattages, lumens. Highlight has everything you need for that. That's H-Y-L-I-T-E-L-E-D, lighting, L-I-G-H-T-I-N-G dot com, highlightledlighting.com. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Greg, what are we talking about with this DOE thing, man? We're gonna come. Oh, it's out. a hot topic. Yeah, we're gonna tell. We're gonna tell. Uh, we're gonna try to get on the the stakeholders meet uh, stakeholders roundtable or whatever it is. I don't even know what it is, but we're gonna get on it, and we're gonna tell them what people that sell lighting think every day. Think about with regulations. What did you think? Is it was it too crude? Should it have been rolled back? Ooh, we no. don't know. Oh, no. you're asking. Don't ask me. <laughs> we're asking our members, ask and we're we're asking non-members go. as well. So if you wanna if you wanna contribute to that conversation, call up the nailed office, ask for Sarah, tell them, roll it back. Don't roll it back. Make it a better regulation. No regulations. You tell us what you think and we're gonna we're gonna write a letter to the Department of Energy. Stan, thank you for coming on the show. Stan Willerchuk, human centric lighting. Um, you know, uh, human centric lighting was a was a term. We're not sure if it's the right term, the wrong term. We know we don't know what we can do yet, but we're learning. And Stan was a real Pleasure to talk to you and to discuss. What is it, Greg? Is it an ongoing hot topic? Is that what it is? I would say so. We've had a lot of podcasts about it, and it's something that's talked about a lot in the industry, so it's important to have. And what I liked is that they were one of the first. I mean, he started this society back in 2012 or 13. That tells you that he was on the forefront of this, so he has a lot of knowledge about it, and I think it's only going to grow from here. Yeah, we're going to have him on again to talk about controls because that's a, another hot topic. But, you know, human-centric lighting, uh, you know, the health effects of lighting, integrative lighting, all these different things. It's going to be an interesting way, way to play coming down the pipe. But for right now, we thank you, the listener out there, wherever you are, and also the advertisers and everybody else that's involved with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. We thank you. Join Nailed. Go to highlightledlighting.com and every, everything else. Thanks for listening. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. You are lost, Lord is there to find you.